Dolly Parton herself once said, we cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. Or at least we think Dolly Parton said it. Regardless, if COVID-19 has you trying to adjust your sales, then you've come to the right place. A podcast called Everyday Wonder, a place where we try to look beyond the death and destruction that is filling our news feeds and breaking our hearts to talk about some of the good that is happening amidst this pandemic, to share stories of hope, resilience, and compassion, to begin to ask, where do we go from here? I'm Brett Will Taylor, and I'm here with my Everyday Wonder co-host, Renee Peck. Hello, Brett Will. How nice to be here again today. How are you? I, Aside from Texas allergies, I'm doing pretty well. Today, we want to talk about how COVID-19 has forced high school and college students into a very unexpected and far-reaching experiment on distant learning. But we're going to do it in a way a lot of people aren't talking about. Namely, rather than talk about how COVID is affecting teens and young adults as students, we want to ask, how is it affecting them as people. Joining us today is Kelly Crawford. Kelly is the managing editor of Via Nola V, the author of three young adult books, a dance addict who never misses a chance to shake her, well, whatever it is she shakes, and an adjunct professor at both Tulane University and Bard Early College, New Orleans, where she prides herself on being a teacher's teacher, someone who is very hands-on with her students and dedicated to helping them succeed. Kelly, hello and welcome. Well, that was a fantastic intro. I was like, I don't know if that's me. Well, I got your Venmo payment, so that's. Uh, I hope it. I hope it was worth the payment. Teacher among teachers, I love that. Part. I was like, I don't know if I'm doing that, but I hope so. Well, now, you to for. now you will. Um, so you know, like the times and like our topic. Just to remind our listeners, we are all remote these days. Renee, you're in Mississippi, um, and Kelly, you're where in Florida? I'm in Naples, Florida. Awesome. Well, maybe awesome. Is, is Naples an awesome place? You know what? It's great. Although when I was coming here, I gave a whole bunch of people a heart attack because I said, well, I'm leaving for Naples. And they immediately thought Naples, Italy. And they were like, please don't go. Not right now. <laughs> so. It's true. If they had told you to go, you would know they weren't your friends. But Exactly. Good, good, good. Um, so to get us started, I just want to, to, to cite a, a poll number. A, a group called Common Sense Media um, released a poll yesterday. Um, and one of its findings was that 95% of American kids ages 13 to 17 have had their in-person classes canceled. That's 95%. That's a lot of kids getting their education from a computer instead of a classroom. And Kelly, let me ask you, because I know your classes have been, um, the, in, the you know, in-person aspect of your classes have been canceled. What's that doing to your students? You know, it's interesting. Um, for some of the students, they're thriving extremely well. They know what's expected of them. Also, uh, this is with the Tulane students, for example. So we're looking juniors, seniors, so about the age of 19 up to 21. Um, they're so used to almost doing everything online that it hasn't been a difficult transition for them. Canvas, which is the platform that we use, all their assignments are online. All their readings are online. Um, everything in my class of alternative journalism is all through PDF. They don't have any books, etc. cetera. 
So that transition was very, very easy. Um, I actually ended up talking to two girls who both go to Temple University uh, down the street. They both moved to online education. One is in business and the other is in sociology. And they've talked about how it has been very difficult because what they're expected to do is they don't go to a live class. They just watch these lectures online and then they take tests on them or they have to write papers based off of them. Um, on a more personal level, I have had more contact with my students now than I ever did in class. They're hanging on the calls after Zoom. Our class is done in order to talk. I'm getting emails from them. It's spring break this week, but you would not know it because my students are emailing. They're sending me things. They're doing their edits. And one of the students who was really lovely, and this is why I'm very happy that Vianola V exists, uh, is she wrote about she called it thinking out loud. And it was just kind of an expression of how she was feeling about moving back to Chicago and not being able to see her friends and not being able to live that college life uh, that she'd become accustomed to and loved. And it was this beautiful kind of expressive piece that she was now able to give to the world. Do you think, Kelly, that maybe um, the time they're spending reaching out to you online is has something to do with this need for human connection that we all have, um, especially now? Probably. I would think so. Also, I don't know about you all, but it's this idea that you get bored and you're annoyed with the people who are around you. <laughs> it's like, Interesting. I just want something where it's kind of black and white pinpoint, right? They know I can email this professor and I'm going to get a black and white answer back of a task that I can actually complete and do. So I don't know if it's something along those lines. And then that connective part of feeling connected to something that will have progress. Right. So much that we have connection to right now doesn't necessarily have progress. It's in a state of stagnation. So how are you measuring that progress virtually versus in a classroom? Is anything different or is it just that you're talking to a camera instead of live faces? I'm lucky because my class is about 20 to 22 students, so I can have them all up and we do live classes the entire time. What's funny, though, is Zoom gives you all of this information that you wouldn't have in a classroom. Who's participating? Who's not participating? And since it does it in a quantitative manner, all of a sudden I can look and be like, oh, John Doe, whomever it may be, was you know, clicking on a different screen during this time or in a breakaway session, wasn't engaging with the students during a breakaway session. So in a way, it's a lot of big brother. So it, it sounds like for what you're doing right now, um, it's different, but it's working, right? I yeah. mean, it's as best as it could. So, and we want to, I want to, I know we want to talk in a bit about that connection, but I want to go back to something that you just referenced about the girls who are going to Temple University. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm supposed to, the young women who are going to Temple University, sorry, um, Texas guy came out for a second. Um, so they're talking about, you know, they just are downloading courses, you know, doing pre-done testing, stuff like that. That's what I'm hearing a lot from folks here in Texas. I mean, I have somebody who's a teacher and he's like, we can't do Zoom. We're prohibited. Like we can do text and we can do email and that's it. I have a friend whose granddaughter um, is a freshman, uh, I think in Kansas, and um they haven't yet been able to figure out how to do labs for her chemistry class. And they're just like, go ahead. So what do you think? um, I don't think you're a chemistry teacher, though you do so many things. Maybe you are. Um, But as an educator, what does that do? Like, what does it do to those kids from Temple? 
You know, in a way, I feel like, you know how we all took those classes where we're like, this is never going to have any application in my life whatsoever. Yep. <laughs> we all know those classes. And I think this, it's funny because I think about it when, whenever you go on Marco Polo or FaceTime, you get to see like all of your imperfections, right? It's just highlighted through online formats. You're like, oh my God, my wrinkles or my skin or my hair. And I feel like this is what the online education is doing for the educational world. Uh, people who are able to engage and tap in, you look beautiful and great. Those who maybe can't, it all of a sudden starts showing all of the warts that maybe you couldn't see at other times with that. And with the students, I think what they're seeing is, so for example, with the labs, um, I have a student, she is a chemistry major. And I said, so what are they doing with labs? And she said, we're reading case studies. Or we can set up a virtual lab in our own places, which I thought that sounds dangerous. Um, but she said, literally, she said, I'm not going to do that. So it's this kind of, if you don't see where there's a connection and an application to what you're doing, I think that that lessens the engagement uh, and the long-term goals with it as well. You know, it's interesting because um, everyone is working remotely from home now. Um, all of my kids and my husband and you um, and a classroom, however, is not the same as an office. You can take your work home and work remotely and have certain projects to do and have certain conferences to do, uh, but it's different. The classroom has a more reciprocal arrangement, I think. Uh, one of the quotes I love about education is that learning happens in the context of relationships. So it's all about re- the best learning always happens in the context of relationships. And how do you do that over Zoom? I mean, if you're just watching a talking head on the screen, you're obviously not having that relationship. And I think the best learning, and I think all of us are lifelong learners, happen when we have that inner discipline between people. And I think that that, as you say, can be achieved. And if you're not achieving it in this day and age, you know it right away. Right. And that's a really good point. That's an interesting factor to look at is this idea of the the connection that you have with your teacher. At least we had the grace of for half the semester with the students. So you build a rapport there and you can carry that over. Now, for example, when I go into my summer class, it's going to be all new students I know nothing about. And I don't know about you all, but didn't you ever have it where it's like, even if I hate the class, I like the professor or I like the teacher so much, I'm going to work my butt off for it. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think that all of us look back in our past and know this one teacher or that one teacher that motivated or made a difference for whatever reason. And um, and how much of that rapport starts with the actual touch, feel, speak, see in in class relationship? I don't know. I guess I guess you do anything virtually these days. And you know, you're going to be replaced in the future by an artificial intelligence teacher anyway. So, um, you, you know, how much of the human emotion and connection is is tapped into that, I don't know. But uh, but I do think that in order to make this work in a, in a learning way, we, we're going to have to move beyond just the, the talking head format, which is, which is learning as, as TV monitor, when that's not, that's not the way to go, I don't think. I agree, right? We know that that's definitely not. And there is something to being in the physical presence. You feel an energy. And um, well, I think of you often with this because the energy of a space, all of a sudden, you're not able to create that with your students anymore. Um, You know, the waves that are being put through the room, literally through sound and through movement. 
Well, you know, it's interesting listening to you all. So two things popped into my head. One, um, so Kelly, you had had these students in a classroom for a period of time before it became virtual, right? Yeah. Right. So that energy was established. Um, and so I think, um, so that's one. And I want to I want to ask you in a minute, what about the kids who, the students, sorry, who, who aren't responsive and are your ways to respond, to deal with that different virtually than in person. And the other thing I think of, I don't know why I just thought about this. I thought of David Bowie, bear with me. Um, because, you know, I've loved David Bowie as an artist since I was a little kid, like a little boy. And, um, but seeing him in person was a transcendent experience. See, going to Jazz Fest, I mean, this perhaps is one of the things with New Orleans, you are up close to the music. So Renee, I think to your point, when I think of, you know, Sue Passmore was one of the teachers who shapes me to this day, and she's an English, she was my high school English teacher. Um, I cannot imagine... um, her as a virtual teacher. I, I mean, her, the majority of her personality would be gone. Um, and I think, um, you know, we, we can't overlook um, that all of us are in the middle of a trauma right now. And that including each and every one of your students and our extent to support them in a trauma is dramatically reduced if it's through a camera. Um, assuming that they have a camera, that's a whole different conversation that you have a computer. But what is that? You know, Kelly, you are you embody New Orleans in many ways. One is that you're a very touchy feely, exciting, jump around person. How has that changed you or how, how have you adapted to that? I don't know if I've adapted well, <laughs> because it's very, very true. Um, I think one of the things is um, having a platform where the curriculum is live and it's not stagnant is very important. So as soon as I heard classes were going online, I redid my entire syllabus. So I changed the assignments that they were going to be doing because the last class that we had together, I wanted to give them a space where they could speak about what were they worried about and what were they concerned about with COVID-19, going home, et cetera. And then we broke that down into five different journalistic beats where social, emotional, logistics, um, finance, et cetera. And then each of them got to choose a beat that then they were going to investigate and report on. And that is now they are having two of those articles and then a reflective assignment back on those. So with that, what I found was the only way you can get students to engage is you got you have to change the game. I think the idea of trying to transition from a space to a virtual space but not changing anything else I don't think it'll work, right? We only know that it works when you're in person. And so for me, I I made the decision of what in the world if I were a student and based off what I talked to with my students, what would I actually want to do in a class? Um, And all of them, what they really felt like they wanted to do was they wanted to help the community. They want to do something that feels like they're doing something that's progressive and that's helpful and that they're getting their voice out and they're being part of the solution rather than a helpless state where all they can do is be moved around and be told what to do in a lot of ways. Interesting. Um, I love that. I love that. Um, let me also ask you, um, and you know, I'm an old, older guy, so, um, and I'm kind of crotchety and, and it, may, it comes as, this will come as a shock to Renee. I'm very opinionated. Um, so, uh, but you know, the rep that kids have today is they are wedded to their phones, that they don't have enough social, that they don't have enough in-person interaction. They don't look up. That was before COVID-19. 
So now we're going to have months of kids having even fewer opportunities to look up. And by the way, maybe not at Tulane, but at a lot of other high schools and colleges, um, the classroom is perhaps the most healthy emotional experience a lot of kids have. They, but they get there, but they don't get at home. So now, again, you're taking that away. And as we said at the top of this show, you know, regardless of how that affects kids as students, how does that affect them as people, as humans, that you're taking an emotional support away? Or, or are you just changing the script and putting it online and still trying to do it? Yeah. I mean, this is what I think about it, like Nick and McKeon ethics, right? Aristotle, when he talked about why to even have public education, it was this fact of what do you do if someone is born into a family that doesn't have good morals and ethics? We don't want that person to then not be able to be a good citizen because that's what they've been exposed to. And that was the impetus behind this idea of public education of, okay, if we can have an institution that teaches these good ethics, these good morals and how to be a good citizen, and no matter what, we're giving someone the opportunity to rise above what they were born into. And I think a testament is this actually shows the parts of where our educational system has completely failed, specifically lower socioeconomic students, which then, you know, brings in minorities, et cetera, because having access to a web camera, having access to reliable internet, having access to a quiet space, these aren't you know, givens for a lot, a lot of people um, and a lot of students. And I, I you know, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but if I was in that position, I would feel terrible about myself of I can't even be a student any longer. That identity has now been stripped away in a lot of ways. Instead, you're just part of this chaos, <laughs> like trying to grip onto something. And so I have a, a friend who is a teacher. He's a magnificent teacher, Max Henderson, and he is at uh, Newman. And he's been working with his students one-on-one -on -one rather than in a classroom environment because he is wow. finding that they can't function very, very well as one-on-one. -on -one. And any of the students that then can't function that, he meets with them in an outside Zoom session to ask them questions, to help them through. He's an English teacher. So it does a lot of... I mean, the educators I know, I mean, mind you, there's nothing else to do. But the educators I know have really stepped it up because they're like, well, you know, they, what else can I do? I've watched all Jack Ryan, like I'm done, you know, it's, and you can only sit for so long and it does make you feel like you're having some sort of purpose and impact for things. I think that the way uh, we're doing online learning now is maybe in the midst of COVID-19 is maybe changing our perceptions of what online learning is or, or can be. Um, Sal Khan, who is from New Orleans, who grew up in Metairie, went to Grace Green High School, started Khan Academy Online, which was one of the first mm -hmm. and, and still one of the biggest free online learning spots in the entire world. And he has a lot to say about online learning. Um, one of the things he, he believes is that the or that he cites is the fact that studies have shown that the brain is like a muscle. If you use it, it grows. And if you don't, it doesn't. So you have people that either believe in fixed brain um, yeah. a, a pattern of how we learn or, um, or growth brain. And the growth brain people think that the more you use your brain and the more you learn and the more that you find, the more stimulation you have, the more you learn. Fixed brain people think you're born smart or you're born stupid. And so that's all that you can do. And I think that the growth brain people are finding that there is so much more to explore and use and see out there. And I think even kids 
and I call them kids, Brett will, sorry, because I'm older, but I think even students who have been confined to the classroom in ways may find this liberating in a sense. That same study that you talked about that came out this morning found that two thirds of the students who, who were polled used to go to social influencers and YouTube channels and whatever to get their news. And now they're getting it from more mainstream media. And, um, and I think this is going to change both the teacher and the student perception of what it means to learn and, and, and how we do that and what tools we use to do that online. And I think it's through tools like Zoom or artificial intelligence, if it goes there or wherever. But this may be a learning curve for all of us that changes the future of education as we know it. Absolutely. I mean, I remember even looking for online positions maybe like four or five years ago. And the amount of professorships that you were able to do online was, number one, you got paid terribly. (laughs) And the classes were shorter and it was kind of this module move through. And I agree, I think there's going to be a huge shift and change because, you know, we don't know when this is going to end. (laughs) We just, you know, Tulane announced today that all the summer classes that were going to be there are going to be online. So we definitely know that this is going through August at least, June 28th at the earliest, but definitely, uh, through June 28th that everything's going to be virtual and online. You know, it's interesting because um, Khan Academy, which started out as a, as a virtual learning tool and which uh, was really dedicated to the fact that if you open the window on your screen, you open the entire world mm. to yourself because you can get museums and priceless artworks and you can talk to people in other countries and you can trade knowledge and whatever. And I think that is part of what this whole virtual learning model is doing for students. But even he built a brick and mortar school because he felt like that uh, the virtual can empower the physical, but you can't throw out the physical. The physical, the actual bonding or whatever is, is something that's tangible to the learning process and that our kids need. Now, if we go on like this for years, in which case I'll jump off a cliff and won't be here, then, then where do you take that? I mean, what is the future of this is if it goes beyond the summer? Are we going to try to do 3D holograms so that we have more reality here? Are we going to try to make that human connection through social media or through other ways? Are we going to have people journal? How do we get the isolation out of isolated distance learning? Right. That's a really good question with it because, I mean, this is going to reveal way too much information about me, Um, but it was the fact of, I was talking to a girlfriend. I was like, you know, I watched this scene of Reality Bites where they made out, but it really doesn't replace making out. I was like, you know, I was like, I really just want to make out with somebody. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. We do this podcast because we don't think um, we shine enough light on the hope in the world. And so um, one of the things I want to ask you is, as you think of your students, um, is there anyone who has blossomed or progressed more because we're doing this online, because you're working with them online? That's so funny because you're talking, I'm being super emotional. Absolutely, yes. And I would say every single one of my students has somehow grown or developed in a way that I'm like incredibly proud of. So even students who maybe slacked off, I'm thinking of two students who I knew had kind of slacked off. They have stepped up in a way, for example, the fact that they have slacked off and that self-reflection I think is huge and that's incredibly important. 
one student, she had asked for an extension and we had this conversation of, you know, I want to create an environment for you where you're able to be successful because I've seen where you can write really, really well. And so we don't want to take away the boundaries that allow you to write in that space in a beautiful way. And she came back with this response that was so... It, it was amazing because she basically had like assessed herself. She had held herself accountable. And then she had said, okay, here are the boundaries I need in order to make sure that I do well. So even the ones who were taking a step back, I've seen them take steps forward. And then just the absolute beautiful, youthful, rebellious soul that I see in all of them that gives so much energy, where it's the fact that they can't wait to get back to New Orleans. They can't wait to get back to their friends. They can't wait to get back to school. They can't wait to tell their stories. I I wondered about that interconnection between teacher and student, but what about peer-to-peer? What do you do about that? You can't do a circle class in a Zoom room. So where does that go, that interconnection between students who I'm sure feed off one another when it comes to, to dialogue and discourse and discussion? Absolutely. I 100% put them in breakaway groups all of the time. So they know that throughout our class, I do um, the breakaway groups at least two to three times. Because even when I ask them, so we usually will free rate on a question. And then I say, okay, we're going to break out into groups. You're going to discuss it as groups first. Come together to think about what themes or threads you're seeing. And then we're going to report back together when we come back as a group. And the, the beautiful part of that is that I am not allowed to go into those breakaway groups. And I'm so happy about that because it puts all the onus on them talking to each other and I don't even care if they're whatever they're talking about because having them interact with one another they now know each other's names uh which in a brick and mortar class they don't know each other's names they're always like well what she said and now it I really liked Annabelle's point because just like I can see here I can see all of your names with your faces and that's a beautiful thing. So let me ask you, so that's awesome because I think, um, you know, listening, you're you're such a great guest to have for this topic, Kelly, because I think what you keep doing us doing is taking us back to the hope and the promise versus endorsing the the shortcomings. So that right there tells me you're a good teacher. So, but that's, and I want to build on that because I think, you know, I think Renee and I came into this episode maybe saying, um, you know, it's that in-person experience that um, so defines the teacher-student relationship and so defines, so shapes us as people. And I'm not saying that isn't an element, but you keep remind, you're reminding me that there are many other factors and that, yes, maybe we have to adapt those factors when it's the camera instead of a classroom, but they're there. And I just want to rattle a couple that I've heard, but I want you to, to riff. So it is the factor of caring. It is the factor of creativity. It is the factor of believing in the best. It's an aspirational factor that you believe in the best of your students. Um, So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think one of the factors that I try to tap into, and mind you, I feel all the time, is unconditional positive regard for the students, where it's a fact of no matter what is happening, I try to take a step back and say, if this student is doing the best that they can do right now, where are they at and meet them there? And, uh, you know, that was something that was taught to me, like through education and also through mentoring and also through people helping me, you know, we learned through experience. And I think this idea of 
if we look at students, and I think we can extrapolate this to the world, if we look at people and say, they're going to slack off, they're not going to try hard, they're not going to do anything, people start living up to that expectation versus if we say, you know what, you're going to find your own voice, you're going to find creativity, you're going to find new ways to engage with people, you're going to find new cures for terrible viruses. That's a better bar. And that's the world I want to live in where someone says, hey, you can do better. But by the way, it's also okay to not do better and just step back and breathe and reboot and relax and have a bad day every once in a while. Um, you all did that for me when I had that day where I was like, I can't be on a Zoom call because I've been on a computer for like 17 hours, I feel like. And people saying, hey, you know what? totally okay. We'll reschedule it at a better time or just take a break. And that's the beauty of, I think, humans, whether we're face-to-face with one another or whether we're virtual with one another, that I think that we can find so much hope in. Is you think the coronavirus age has made us more appreciative of one another? Do you think that's part of this whole atmosphere? Because a lot of what I see out there is more... Um, negative as far as but but what you're describing is that people are giving each other a lot more room to maneuver I hope so I know that the people I know and this you know but I also don't go to the grocery store and I've heard like horror stories about the grocery store and again it's that idea of and to you know go back to Aristotle because I'm a nerd but this idea of if we don't have other examples how do we ever mimic or learn something new well and you and this might be a, a place to take us out you know if you look back to some of the initial thinking for a school you have it so that you shelter people you have a place that kids can escape what's happening outside and learn. They can be developed. And the and so the experiential learning is important, but so is that just very warm, iterative, emotional experience that happens in a classroom. So, you know, we need school, we need classrooms in a way. So because kids need a world other, God help them, than Walmart. Um, you know, so I think that's why we have it. And I just, you know, I want to say, Kelly, um, you're actually, you know, your conversation has reminded me why we do this podcast in the first place. And that is that the negativity is what is mainly reported. And so in that, and our social media algorithms for so many of us are wired to remind us of where people are falling or failing or letting us down. Um, And this has been a really, you know, whether we have one listener or a thousand listeners for this, um, you've changed me in listening to this just in a half an hour, because what you're reminding me is humans are very resilient. And among the most resilient of the humans are our young people, um, because they don't always know all the bad things that can happen or are expected of them. So, um, I want to I want to take us out by saying thank you to Daryl, our producer, and thank you to Renee, our great co-host. But thank you, Kelly Crawford, for being a teacher, um, whether you're on camera or in a classroom, because it's making a difference and it will help lead us to the other side of where we are today. 